um, we're going to get into our message today. I fought the law. We're going through this series. We have one baptism at the end of our service today, and maybe you too. I'm just going to put that plug in there. If you're like ready today, we'll dunk you. You know, we'll dunk you. We had two in the first service that were exciting. You're going to hear their testimony at the end. And for Noah, uh, the one who's going to get baptized in this service today. So we're going through our series in Ecclesiastes. So open up your Bibles if you have them to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And we're going to go through that chapter today. And if you're wondering, hey, Matt, I was here last week and uh, you have a good memory because we only went, got through chapter six last week. What happened to chapter seven? Well, we're not covering it on Sunday mornings. However, Sawyer and I, you met Sawyer a little while ago. We have been doing a podcast, a midweek podcast that's called the 10,000 podcast because there's 10,080 minutes in a week and you guys are only here 80 minutes. We want to impact the rest of the 10,000. Okay, you got that. We want you to listen to that, subscribe to it. We've tried to put that podcast everywhere that you can find podcasts. Uh, If you haven't found it on your app, whatever you're using, let us know and we'll put it up there too. But we actually covered all of chapter 7 in that podcast. So uh, it's a little different format, but we still are getting into God's word that way. So today, chapter 8, I fought the law and what? The law won. Isn't that always how it goes? I fought the law and the law won. You can't beat City Hall. Don't we have some sayings like this, right? Because we know that we have authorities above us and they always are the authority. They're in charge and we are rebels. You know, we're rebels. Let's be honest. We are rebellious people. I I am too. I was a pretty rebellious kid in school. I'm sorry. I was that kid um, that always talked too much. And I remember my freshman year of high school, I had my history teacher and, um, I just talked a lot. I was like, why can't I just talk? I want to talk. But the teacher was talking about some geography thing on the very first day of class, and I was sitting next to the pull-down map. And I was like, hey, can't I pull down this map so I can show everybody? I raised my hand to ask. She's like, no, we're not doing that right now. So she left the classroom a few minutes later, and what did I do? I pulled down the map. Oh, it got a good laugh. got a good laugh. But I was in trouble, right? Because I just had this rebellious nature. And from that day until I graduated in high school, and probably till this day, that teacher did not like me. Because I was the rebel. I was the rebel. But we're all rebels. Who else here has had a rebellious spirit at times? Yeah, yeah, a lot of us have. You know, I think we are especially prone to rebelliousness, not only because we're sinners and we're <laughs> sinful, sinful nature, we want to get our way, but also we're American. Our entire nation was founded on a rebellion. I mean, yeah, amen, yeah, we're rebels. We're rebels, right? And I don't know if you knew this, but we, if you're part of this church, this is your church home, we come from a spiritual tradition called the Protestant Reformation because we were rebelling, we're protesting the church that was in power at the time. I don't know if you knew that. So we are spiritually and uh, politically, nationally rebels, aren't we? We're just kind of like built in that system where it's almost like, yeah, it's good to be a rebel. But that makes it hard when there are authorities above us. And sometimes it's a crazy thing because it's not even until we're given the rule that we want to rebel. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, please do not lick the toaster oven while it's on. And what does the kid do? Uh, He just has to test it out, right? That's what kids do. That's what teenagers do. That's what adults do. We are rebels sometimes without even a cause. But we have authorities in our life. How do we deal with it? We have people above us that are parents or grandparents. We have people that are our teachers, principals, administrators. At work, we have managers, bosses, CEOs above us in authority. In the church, there are pastors and elders who are your spiritual authorities. Legally, you have police officers and sheriffs that are authorities above you. Governmentally, we have mayors and governors and senators, congressmen, presidents, and an entire administration above us. And you know what? It turns out no matter what level of authority you're talking about, We want to rebel sometimes, don't we? And we have good reason because they're not very good at their jobs. They don't know what they're doing, right? We struggle because they make the wrong decision. I want to do that. How could they even do that? They weren't even thinking about me. How could they do that? So how do we live a life with these authorities above us who get things wrong? Well, that's what today's message is about. In this uh, passage through Ecclesiastes chapter 8, Solomon dealt with this issue. And you may think that's strange because he was the king. But he also had to submit to his father, who was the king, and being the son of the king, man, that was probably a very tough gig. 
And now that he's in authority, he's seeing people under him, and he's trying to give some wisdom to them and to future people. So it's not just to his subjects. He's just saying, just broadly, you need to understand this, because in this book we've seen that Solomon is trying all sorts of different things, and he's trying to find meaning in life. And when it comes to the authorities that we all have above us, how do we meaningfully and wisely live our lives? Well, that's what Solomon is going to help us with today. So Ecclesiastes chapter 8, we are going to start in verse 2. In verse 2, Solomon says, simply, Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Simple. Okay, you guys can go home now. Pretty simple. Obey the kings. Okay, so I'm going to use his terminology here, king, that he is using because we have authorities. Now, we don't have a king. In Solomon's day, it was actually pretty bad. If the king said something, it was law. Period. You didn't have recourse. You didn't have First Amendment rights. So if you didn't like it, well, too bad. You've got to deal with it. You've got to submit to it and obey it. So I'm going to use the word king today, and I just mean authorities above you. So I want you to think right now of who those authorities are above you. Who are those authorities? I mentioned several of them. Maybe you can think of some other ones. Who are the specific person? You can think of the name, the face, the principal, the boss, that person, that parent. Ooh. You know, it's hard. I want you to especially think of the person that you dislike or have a tr- trouble submitting to, right? And this is what I want to tell you. We're going to have a two-part big idea, and I'm going to give you this first one right at the, here at the beginning. It is to submit, to wisely submit to kings who do wrong. Wisely submit to kings who do wrong. And like I said, kings, you apply that to your own situation. You don't have a brutal dictator who's going to tell you everything what to do, a king, and if you don't do it, you get executed or thrown into prison for treason. We don't have those kings. In fact, we have it way better. I don't know if you realize this about how good we have it. We have a lot of, uh, we have this thing called the Bill of Rights. Like, that's amazing. In human history, people have never had it as good as we have it. Even if you absolutely despise the president or administration we have in power, just wait eight years and they're gone. That's incredible. Most people throughout human history have never had that. Even most of the world today have not had that much freedom. Okay, we have some things good, but still it's hard, isn't it? It's still hard with the authorities we have because we dislike them. So that's what I want to say. Well, whoever the authorities are in your life, wisely submit to them to the kings who do wrong. Now, I'm not saying submit to them because they do wrong. No, that's not what I meant. I'm just saying they are imperfect human beings, and they will make bad decisions, sometimes deliberately evil, awful decisions. They will do unjust things. They will do bad things. But we are called to wisely submit to them. This is what I'm telling you guys. Already as rebels, you're like, what? Don't tell me what to do. I know you're saying that. But this is what God is saying. And, and look at verse 1 again. Solomon says this. Now most of this, I'm sorry, verse 2, most of this book is wisdom. It's wisdom, meaning, hey, it's not necessarily spiritually right or wrong. It's like a sin if you don't do it. It's just like this is the wisest way to live your life, the best way to live your life. But he brings in a spiritual element here in verse 2. He says, obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. To submit and to obey the king, to submit to the kings in our lives, is a spiritual thing because it's before God. And here's why. Because God is sovereignly in control over all the authorities in our lives. We're taught this explicitly in Romans chapter 13. In verse 1, we can read, Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for no authority exists except by God, and the authorities that do exist have been established by God. Kind of repeats himself a little bit there. One verse. Once you get it. Now, Paul wrote this in the Roman Empire pretty terrible empire and at the time there was a really bad emperor who was a pretty terrible dude if you've ever studied him and yet paul said submit to him god put him in place and to put an exclamation point on this if you jump down to verse four we read for he that person in authority is god's minister to you for good now some translations will say servant but that word was literally the word for ministers who worked in the temple What we read here is that God has put people in positions of authority above us and they serve him whether they know it or not. He is sovereignly in control somehow. Now I could give a whole message on how that all works out and maybe one of these days I will. Right now what I just want you to understand is God does that and God deliberately allows sometimes evil people to be in power in order to accomplish the good things that he loves. 
We learned about this in our series uh, over Joseph. Do you remember this series last fall? We called it Overcome. You can go back and listen to that. Joseph had some evil, awful, terrible things happen in his life. And at the very end, it became very clear that God allowed what he hated to accomplish what he loved. Sometimes God does that. He, he manipulates, he works through human authorities who are imperfect and who do wrong in order to do something even better. They don't even recognize it, but they are God's pawns. And for that reason, we are taught spiritually we must submit to those authorities. And if Paul's words weren't enough, let's read Peter's in 1 Peter 2. He said, For the sake of the Lord, because you follow Jesus, submit yourselves to every human authority, to the emperor who is the supreme authority, and to the governors who have been appointed by him. We have these authorities, and our job as followers of Jesus is to submit to them. And if Peter's words weren't enough... What did Jesus say when they asked him about giving taxes to the worst empire that had existed at that time? The Roman Empire, right? What did Jesus say? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. They have created all the money. This is a Roman currency you owe them. They protect you. They bring peace to the land. You do what they say. If they ask you to go a mile, what did Jesus say? Go two. We submit to our authorities even if we dislike them, even if they do wrong. That's what Jesus himself taught us. Now, if you're a careful Bible reader, you say, well, Matt, I can think of a few rebels in the Bible. Yeah, can you think of a few? Think about it. Rahab, she went against her government to serve God's people. What about Esther, the amazing woman who boldly went into the throne room of the emperor even though it was breaking the law and she might be executed? She did it to save God's people. What about Daniel? I'm not going to bow down to that statue. It's thrown in the lion's den. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Go get thrown into the fire. What about in the New Testament? And I want to bring up this story because I think it brings a clear understanding for us about when it is okay to rebel against human authorities. So Peter and John are out preaching the good news of Jesus. Jesus had just died and risen from the dead three days later, and they're like, hey, guys, you've got to hear about this. This ain't no magic trick. I seen it. I touched him. He's real. You've got to believe. So they're out spreading the news everywhere, preaching, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And the authorities stop him. They arrest him. And they say, you can't do this anymore. Stop it. Stop it. You're allowed to preach. Just don't preach about Jesus. Not okay. Stop. They put a law in place, right? They're the authorities. What do Peter and John tell them? They say, we must obey God rather than human beings. So here's the, here's the reality. What they're saying is there are authorities above us. We submit to them wisely. But there's an authority above them higher still. And when God's law says to do something, it doesn't matter what anyone below him says. Seriously, if you are at work, you know this, and your CEO tells you to do something, and then your manager tells you to do something different, who are you going to listen to? The CEO. In, in the military, if your general says, you need to do this, and then your CEO says, oh, you don't need to worry about that, who are you going to listen to? The general. You listen to the highest command, and in the same way, what God says is the highest authority. So there are times where we say, hey, we're still submitting to human authorities. There's just one higher still. When it comes to spiritual things, that's, that, that's what happens. But notice every instance in the Bible when this happened, they went along with the punishment that the human institutions and governors and authorities put in place. They obeyed God, but then they submitted to whatever the punishment was, getting thrown in prison, getting thrown into a fiery furnace. Whatever might happen, they went along with it. Okay, so this is why I say this. If there comes an instance in your life, because there might, and your boss, your parent president of the United States, whoever it is, the authority in your life tells you to do something that breaks God's law and you say, I will obey God and not man. You still have to submit to whatever punishment comes your way. You might lose your job. You might get kicked out of the house. You might go to jail, but you're going to say, I'm going to do it because I'm submitting to God. You're not going to fight back. How can you do this to me? I have rights. No, no, no. We submit. We submit. But I want to say this, that only accounts for about 0.0001% of your life. 
Now, for the 99.99999% of your life, you need to wisely submit to the authorities in your life because most of the time they're not telling you to do something that deliberately obeys God's law, okay? Tracking with me? For the rest of the time, you need to pay your taxes. I don't care how bad you think people are wasting it. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. We need to submit to the authorities above us. We need to follow the rules and regulations unless it's deliberately, clearly breaking God's law, okay? I know this is tough, but this is what we're being taught in God's word. There's a spiritual element of this, and it's wise, and it's wise. And that's what Solomon is going to focus on next, how this aspect of wisdom comes into this form of submission. Because it's not just, okay, fine, I'll do what you say. No, no, there's a wisdom aspect to this submission, and that's what we're going to see now as we continue on in verse 3. In 8.3 we read, Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Speaking of the king. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Now, we actually can do that nowadays. We have a First Amendment right. We can say whatever we want. We can say, what the heck are you doing? That was a terrible decision. So we have to kind of translate this for our own situation. You guys bearing with me, right? But I want you to notice this first line. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Now, what Solomon is talking about here is people that would come in uh, to uh, the presence of the king. And that was a very special thing, a very dangerous thing. That's why Esther was afraid to do it, because it was against the law to do it without being welcomed. Now, if you were given that opportunity to stand before the king, maybe to bring a petition or make a request of him, you better be respectful. Because if you ran out of the room showing your back to him, it was disrespectful. It was rude. And then you're not going to get what you want. So we need to be wise in how we show respect to those in authority above us. This is just wisdom here. It's not like a right or wrong thing because a lot of us are like, respect doesn't come with the office. I've heard this. Respect doesn't come with the office. It has to be earned. I don't care what the government position is. I'm not going to show respect to them because they are so wrong. Well, you're wrong. If you want to be wise, you need to respect those in authority above you. Now, our situation is a little bit different. You don't have to bow and and not show your back to the person as you're slowly walking away from the king, right? We don't do that. But we show respect in different ways, whether it's to your parents or to a teacher or principal, whether you're uh, in the presence of the president. Showing respect to people in different positions of authority is different, right? We know this, so I want you to apply it that way. How can I show respect to that authority? You're thinking of that authority. I told you to do that for this message, right? Who's that authority that you struggle to submit to? How could you show that person respect? What would that mean? Would it be in a handshake? Would, do you need to change your tone when you address that person? Do you need to speak kindly to them? I don't know what it means for you, but we need to think, what's the wise situation to pronoun? I might have the right to say whatever I want, But to be wise, I'm going to not say those things. Or I'm not going to say it that way. But then he says something interesting. He says, do not stand up for a bad cause. Now, in this context, it's almost saying, if the king is for something and you decide to be against it, you better be careful. Now, it says bad cause, but I don't even think it just means bad cause. I think it just means a cause that goes against what the king or the authority wants. Now, we are cause-filled people. I'm a millennial. We are the worst about this, right? We all have our cause, sometimes multiple causes. This is my thing. I remember in college, everybody had their cause, right? It was a big deal. I I remember somebody was like, we can't have these napkins in in the cafeteria. They are ruining the environment. We need to get biodegradable napkins. So then everybody got these napkins that don't work anymore. You know what I'm talking about? But that was the cause. We were saving the environment, right? We all have our causes, especially us millennials. And what Solomon is saying is if you want to be wise, choose your cause carefully. I'm not saying it's not even a bad cause necessarily in itself. It might be a very good cause. But if it goes against somebody in authority, you've got to be careful. You don't need to fight every battle. Which ones are worth fighting and which ones aren't? It takes some wisdom to figure that out. You know what I'm talking about? Be careful about which cause you choose. And if you're really just upsetting the apple cart on everything, you go into your business and, oh, we're doing everything wrong, you're probably going to get fired. And then you've not made any progress on your cause. It's just foolish. If you really want to accomplish change, sometimes you have to go about it in a different way. And that is exactly what Solomon says next in verse 5. 
He says, whoever obeys his, the king's command, will come to no harm. And the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. He's saying it's going to be hard because you want change. You want something better. You want the world to be a better place. But you've got to be careful about how you go about it. Because if you really tick off that person in authority, you're not going to get anything done. You have wasted your opportunity because you've, you've picked maybe the right cause, but you've gone about it in the wrong way. So be wise about the cause. Be wise about the way you go about that cause. Because we all want to make things better. We want to change things. We want to riot in injustice. So think about it. Maybe this is important, but it's not the time yet. Maybe it is the time, but I need to be really careful how I approach this person and talk to them. How could I, in gentleness and love, talk to this boss so I don't lose my job and actually affect good change for the other employees who would benefit from my cause that I'm pursuing right now? Think about it. If you just go in there and flip the boss's desk over, you're fired. You're out of there. What? You've got nothing done. Go about it wisely, even though it feels like you're being weighed down by misery. It's terrible. It's awful. Well, guess what? Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes, as we'll see later, you'll never get your cause fixed in this lifetime. We've got to be wise about how we go about it if we want to accomplish anything. So uh, I just remember when I was in college, everybody had a cause. I remember one of them was like, don't buy clothing from a company that uses child labor, right? If, if the clothing comes from this company, you can't buy it. So I remember like I had a friend like, oh, you can't buy clothing from that company, that company, that company. And I was like, that's where I buy all my clothes because it's cheap, right? And I'm, I'm poor. That's the only place I can get my clothes and afford them. And I was like, where am I supposed to get my clothes then? Because I wanted to do what was right. This was their cause. I was like, okay, yeah, I want to uh, support uh, living wages around the world. That's a good cause, right? And then I was like, so what do I do? Where can I go? And they're like, oh, you've got to look on this website. They've listed the companies that you can buy good clothing from. So I looked at this website, and there were like three places. All three I couldn't afford to buy clothes from. And then you look in the small print at the bottom of that website. This website is sponsored by those three companies, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, hello. So we go for these causes, but what, what is this actually going to accomplish? Is it actually going to change anything? Let's go about it in a wise way, and it's something that's actually going to affect good change if you have those causes. And I'm not saying that's a bad cause. And if you're thinking I'm picking on one side of the political spectrum, think about the other side, Second Amendment. That's our right. We're going to stand up for that right because people are trying to take it away. So some people say, right? That's their cause. So then they buy a bazooka and bring it into King Supers. What? What? If you bring a bazooka into King Supers, maybe that's legal. And I don't know the laws in Colorado. But in some states, I'm sure, like Texas, it's probably legal. Right? You bring your bazooka strapped to your back into King Supers in Texas or whatever they go to. Not King Supers. Somebody will tell me afterwards. Piggy Wiggly? I don't know. What's, what's, where's that East Coast? Kroger. Okay, you go into Kroger in Texas with a bazooka on your back. That's just crazy. The cops are going to get called. The SWAT team's going to be there. They're going to throw you to the ground. You can say, it's my right. But now you've just scared off everyone from the store. Nobody's going to go there. All the families are terrified. And now you're probably going to do the opposite of what you intended, right? Be wise about how you use even your rights. And in fact, I want to say this. As followers of Jesus, sometimes we need to lay down our rights. Ooh. Politically. If we post stuff about things on Facebook and Twitter, you might have the right to say that and you're defending your right, but you may offend so many people that you've lost an opportunity to share the most important thing, the good news of Jesus. I'm serious. Sometimes we have to give up our rights in a conversation at a time because we want to win them to Jesus. I had a friend, and this last, this last line said, sometimes you're weighed down by this misery. I had a friend that called me this week and he said, Matt, I'm just so upset at these two people. They are doing something so wrong, so evil, and it was wrong. I was like, man, man, I feel for you. And if he's watching right now, you know who I'm talking about. Like, I feel for you. This is a burden for you. But he is so angry about it that it's going to cost him a friendship and an opportunity to share the good news with these two people. Seriously, he's so angry. He's like, I can't even be around him. I'm like, sometimes you just have to let go. You're going to have to give up that specific cause because there's a greater cause. And that takes some wisdom to figure that out. We had a good conversation about it. 
And, and that's kind of the, the point I want to look at next is why we can do that as followers of Jesus. Because it gets hard. We get weighed down by misery. It seems like nothing's happening. I've been going about it the right procedure. Uh, you know, I've been going to HR and then I filed a petition and then I, I was a whistleblower and leaked some information in the news. Uh, you know, there's ways to go about this stuff that's right. But still, nothing seems to get better. Nothing is getting accomplished. What's, what, what are we supposed to do? It's weighing down on me. Well, that's what this next section is going to help us with. Help us with the reality that sometimes the cause doesn't get accomplished. In verse 9, jumping down there, Solomon says, All of this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others. There's a bad boss, a bad CEO, a bad authority. And he's doing it to his own hurt. Have you ever seen this? The boss is so belligerent that he does something that hurts himself. He fires his vice president because he's angry at some petty issue and the whole company goes under. Have you seen this happen? If you're around long enough, you'll see this kind of stuff. That people in authority will make terrible decisions and hurt even themselves. Then I too saw the wicked buried. And he's talking about a proper reverent burial. And he says, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this, this too is meaningless. What he's saying is that there are people who are wicked evil, awful, especially those in authority. And they live a long life. And they receive a great elegy at their funeral, a great write-up in the New York Times. People are praising their name. They're pretending, they're, they're wicked, but yet they're pretending to be great, even religious people. And we know the truth. You know who I'm talking about? Have you ever had those people? I know they're evil, I know they're wicked. They're a terrible authority. They're still in power and they get away with it. People are praising them. But it happens, doesn't it? That's what Solomon is saying. It it seems meaningless in this world that bad leaders are getting away with it. They're even getting praised for it. Verse 11. He goes on. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. This means that people are doing evil and those in authority are not doing anything to punish them. They're getting away with it. They're getting away with it. What is going on here? That person has stolen and stolen and stolen people's income, their retirement, and they seem to just get away with it. That pedophile just gets moved somewhere else. Seems like they're getting away with it and they're just going to be able to hurt more people. This is awful. And when it happens, it just allows more crimes, more evil to happen because the authorities aren't doing their job of bringing justice. We've all seen it, right? Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. We're going to get back to this last section in just a minute, but I want you to see that middle section where he says, although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, we know that there are people who get away with it. For their whole life. We've talked about them in this series. People that were Nazi generals. Or or that Nazi secretary who lived to 106. Never saying that she had done anything wrong. How can people be so awful. And get away with it for a a lifetime. Doesn't seem fair. Doesn't seem fair that that CEO gets a golden parachute. That makes more money than the entire. uh, Everyone I've ever known combined in their lifetime. Right? It's not fair. They ruin the company. We see this again and again and again. But Solomon says something interesting in verse 14. He says, there is something else meaningless. Doesn't it seem meaningless? Why are these evil people getting seemingly rewarded? That occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. Doesn't make sense. It's meaningless. Life doesn't seem to reward people in this life. And if this life is all there is, that's terrible. He says, this too, I say, is meaningless. So, here's the solution. I commend the enjoyment of life. Because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of their life. God has given them under the sun. We've heard that before, haven't we? Seems to be his common refrain. He keeps coming back to it. Life Life is meaningless. It's terrible. Bad things are happening. Just enjoy it. Be happy. Now, it seems to be kind of contradictory. A lot of people are like, oh, he's just cynical and saying, oh, just forget about everything and try to have fun. 
And I think there is some cynicism here, but I think he's saying, hey, you've got to figure out how to have some happiness here because there will be bad things happening. There will be bad authorities who let bad things happen or who do the bad things themselves, and we need to learn to wisely submit to them and sometimes just step back and say, how can I make my life a little better right now? How can I have joy? My friend who was so angry that it was like ruining his feelings, he was just like, I'm unhappy and I'm angry because of these things. You've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. And I think that verse, I kind of skipped verse 13, tells us why we can let go. Where it's said here at the bottom, Yet because the wicked who do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. Now, he's not contradicting himself. He said some of those people will live a long life. But what he's saying is there's something more than just this life. Now, if this life is all there is, if everything you see under the sun is all there is, then it is unjust and meaningless and terrible and tragic and good luck trying to have fun. If those people who are so awful and terrible, if this life is all there is and they get to die happy, how unfair is that? Solomon is saying, actually, it will not go well with them if they don't fear God. See, there is a God of the universe who will bring everything into account, and he will bring justice when there is injustice. And that is very good. Think about it. So often we're just afraid of judgment that's going to come, and it will come. There should be a healthy amount of fear that we have. But I'll tell you the truth, without judgment, it's meaningless. But with judgment we can actually let go of some of those things and find happiness now because we know God will take care of it. He'll handle the situation. He'll handle it. If there is no judgment, then it is meaningless that people like Pol Pot and Hitler, that that terrible leaders like Joseph Stalin seemingly got away with it. Sure, Hitler died a little young. Man, he, there's no way in this life ever he could have paid for the evil that he brought in this life. Think about it. It's the reason why um, when a- Ariel Castro, that terrible man in Ohio who kept those four women in, in prison in his basement, in his cellar, that, do you know what his sentence was when he got convicted? It was lifetime plus 1,000 years. Even the human jury and judge knew that one lifetime would never be enough punishment for what happened to him or what he did to those women, right? It would take more than one lifetime to punish someone for the evil that they have committed in this life. And for people in positions of authority like those, those evil dictators, bad CEOs who ruin people's lives, for those people, it's going to take more than just one lifetime to bring justice. And that's why it's actually a good thing that there is judgment. It really is. It really is. There has to be that. I think even people who are like, oh, hell's a terrible place. Yeah, it is. But we need it because sometimes there is never justice in this life. But God will bring justice. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, we are taught explicitly, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. And that's good news for those of us who have suffered injustice. That people will pay for the terrible sins and crimes they have committed. And people who are in authority will be judged more harshly. I even know that as a pastor. It says in James 3.1 that teachers will be judged more strictly. I'll have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for every word I've said. Sometimes I say some errant words, and I'm sorry about that. I'm going to have to pay for it. I'm going to have to say, God, God. And we're going to talk about what Christ does for us in just a second. But we're all going to have to give an account before Jesus. And what Jesus himself would teach us is that there are varying degrees of punishment. Did you know that? It is the punishment will exactly match the crime. So people like Hitler will have it much worse than somebody else. Okay? That's what Jesus said, because there were these two cities that Jesus, it says, performed more miracles in them than anywhere else in the world. He, the Son of God, God incarnate, was walking among them, showing the love of God to them, performing miracles, healing, ministering to them, and they rejected him. And when Jesus left those cities, he said, woe to them. It will be worse for them, worse than even Sodom, which was a terrible city that God destroyed, right? Turned to ash. It's going to be worse for them on the judgment day. 
Jesus says there are worse punishments for people who deserve it. And it will be exactly to match the crime. This is what we're taught. And we can leave it in God's hands. That's why when we are so angry at injustice, we have our cause, we've got to make it right. At the end of the day, we can trust God that he will make it right. And this is what I want to tell you. To wisely submit to kings who do wrong till the true king makes everything right. Wisely submit to kings who do wrong till the true king makes everything right. See, God will bring everything into account and Jesus, the true king of the universe, will come and he will be the right authority who knows right from wrong. He knows what's in a man, it says that. He knows the insides of someone's heart. Not only what they did, but what they intended by what they did. And he can judge accurately. He knows the past. He knows the present. And he will be able to judge them accurately. And Jesus will make every injustice turn into justice. He's going to do it. He's going to accomplish it. And that's how we can submit to authorities right now. And I think it's only because of Jesus, the true king, that we can do it in this life. Because we have kings who do wrong. In fact, Richard Foster, a great Christian author, he wrote that the one and only compelling reason for submission is the example of Jesus. I think that's true. If we are followers of Jesus, it's so hard to submit to these authorities. So hard sometimes. They get it wrong again. They get it wrong again. Politically, I just want to take a real quick poll. Who in here over the last 10 years has disagreed with something that the president has done? everybody right last 10 years if you're not raising your hand you're lying okay whether you're side one side or the other we all disagree with things we all think that they've done things wrong evil things we even think but we can submit to the president to the authorities the parents to the teachers the principals the ceos the bosses the managers the police whatever the authority is over us we submit because jesus empowers us to do so his example shows us and empowers us how we can do that because think about it Jesus had all power and authority. He had it all and he laid it down. He laid down his crown in heaven and became this human being that had no power. He laid down that crown and he loved and served people even washing their dirty, disgusting feet. And then Jesus was arrested and he was falsely imprisoned and they gave him basically a kangaroo court that these false witnesses came in to spout lies about things that he had done because Jesus had done nothing wrong, he had never sinned and had committed no crime. And yet these authorities treated him like trash. And when Pontius Pilate stood before Jesus, he said, do you know who I am? I have power to either release you or to crucify you. Do you know what Jesus said? You have no power except that which my Father in heaven has given you. And he submitted to these terrible authorities. When they beat him, when they spit on him, and they mocked him. And like a criminal, they put him out to his place of execution. And he was nailed to a cross and executed between two criminals. But Jesus submitted because that's what we're called to do. But what's amazing is you look at what Jesus did. This is the hardest acts of submission. The perfect man that was killed by an imperfect people. Terrible authorities who did terrible things to him. But when the most evil and atrocious thing that ever could happen, happened, it also made possible the greatest thing to ever happen in human history. Did you know that? That that terrible evil made way for the greatest good. So that anybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ and trusts them, they can have their sins completely forgiven. So yes, we will still stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but you know what we can say when we do? I believe, look at the blood of Jesus Christ. I am forgiven. I am innocent because he died, the innocent man, in my place. And God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. See, Jesus' example shows us that we too can submit. We too can submit to whatever authority is over us, as hard as it is. We'll do it wisely. Sometimes we'll have to, uh, to go, go a little higher up, right? 
There's someone above even these human authorities. But most of the time, we're going to say, I'm going to submit wisely to kings who do wrong till the true king makes everything right. Because Jesus did rise on the third day, showing that he has power over all human authorities. And one day, every knee will bow before him and declare that he is Lord, that he is king. So today, we have the exciting privilege of being here for a baptism. And if you're saying, Matt, I... I um, have never made Jesus my Lord and Savior. I'm afraid of what's going to happen to me on that judgment day. Well, maybe today you need to confess that you are a sinner and receive Jesus as your king in your life. Maybe you need to do that, and maybe you need to come and stand in the line to get baptized. Because that is your public declaration. You know, basically, this is your pledge of allegiance to the King of Kings. This is the the public declaration. It's faith going public. Saying, hey, I do believe in Jesus. And we're going to see Noah, who's, who's making that decision at a young age, which is awesome. I'm so excited for, for the family. And Samuel and Jen um, just got married. Um, his, his dad's here as well. Um, exciting things for that family. And we're so excited for Noah. And you're, we're going to hear their testimony in a second, his testimony. And we're going to hear the testimony from the two men who got baptized in the first service as well. So would you guys please bow your head with me and pray? Lord God, it is hard sometimes, hard because we have authorities above us that that make bad decisions. Sometimes they deliberately do things that are wrong, Lord. Give us the power, give us the strength to submit to them wisely. When we have our cause, help us to pick it out wisely, to choose wisely and to submit wisely. And then to, to affect change because, Lord, we want the world to be better. We want to love our neighbors. We don't want to leave the world worse off than when we found it. Lord God, give us the wisdom to enact the good change and to submit to the kings and people in authority above us whenever we can. And I pray, Lord God, that we today would be reminded by Noah's declaration of faith that we too have submitted to the highest power, the highest king, who will one day return to make everything right. That we will all go before the judgment seat and he will get it all right. He'll get it perfect. He won't provide any more punishment than someone deserves, but he will bring an end to injustice. And we are so grateful for that. And with everybody's eyes closed, if you're here and you're saying, hey, for the first time, I I need to follow Jesus. I need to declare that he is my king. Would you raise your hand? Would you just slip your hand up? If there's anybody here who wants to make that decision today. Lord, God, I just pray for, for those who are making that decision today, Lord. Would they just be able to declare in their heart today, that you are king, that you are Lord, that they are a sinner, that they need your forgiveness. Lord God, and I pray that they might receive that salvation in your Holy Spirit and be able to walk and follow you all the days of their life. Lord, we thank you for that, and we thank you for those today who have decided to make that decision public. Lord, we are so grateful that we get to take part in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Stapleton Church. My name is Matthew Christian. My wife Kate and our daughters Alexa and Mila have been coming to church since the end of last year. And today, I'm going to be baptized. Now, I'm so ecstatic to be getting saved, but I'm also slightly relieved that my last name will no longer be ironic. Now, all joking aside, the fact that I'm here today testifying is a miracle. When I think back through the days of my life, all leading all the way up until now, I see God's love in my life. This is significant because that wasn't always the case. Most of my life, I was trying to convince myself that I didn't believe and that I didn't need it. I couldn't have been more mistaken on both accounts. It led to impulse, betrayal, deceit, shame, guilt, regret. I was not a good son, brother, or friend. I wasn't a good husband or father. I wasn't a good man. But God loved me. I do not believe that I knew what love was until I experienced this tireless love that God provides. He was working through the right people at the right time, through me, through their hearts and mine. So today... I'm accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I just want to say hallelujah, thank you, and God bless. My name is Joseph Little. I was born in the South and have always had some sort of a conception of God 
and who he was um, that over the last few years has grown through seeking God. So the hurdle, the big hurdle that was standing between me and God was this acceptance or even the willingness to believe that Christ was God and that there was this trinity of one true God who expressed himself in three different ways. And I couldn't understand that or wrap my head around it. And in fact, I searched the Bible to try to prove this wrong. And my resistance um, and reluctance to find, to accept Christ, I have made the decision to be baptized. Because through a series of events, God has softened my heart and I am willing to believe that Christ is my Lord and Savior. Because I believe the people that He's put into my life have truly found Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they stand a testimony to that. And so these people, God acting through these people, I do believe that Christ is my Lord and Savior. Hi, I am Noah Polly. I want to get baptized because I want Jesus and God to be in my heart. When I first believed in Jesus is when my mom told me about Jesus. I want to follow Jesus through the future and done good things that he has done. This is an honor, Noah, to, to be here with you. And I'm so glad your, your, your mom is here too, who has been so influential in your spiritual journey so far. Um, Noah, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He said yes. Therefore, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life.
guys go out this week. We love you. We'll see you next week.